0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom! This week is a week for the books. Because the girls are taking over, so get ready to party with us this week and also have (laughs) a lot of meaningful discussion about representation of women in the Wizarding World. This is super timely that we have this panel of lovely ladies together Um, but it's also worth pointing out that we've never had an all woman led episode of MuggleCast In the 630-something episodes that we have. Andrew, (laughs) Eric, and Micah found dead. (laughs) Oh no, the the chaos is already kicking off. Yeah, I'm here, so. (laughs) Chloe's like, in case anyone didn't know, I'm here for the girls episode. To bring the chaos, yes. (laughs) But I thought to get us started today to meet everyone on the panel secret for all the listeners. You know everyone on this panel already. (laughs) So you're going to be really, really happy to hear who all we have with us today. And to do this, we're going to go around and do some intros and share our fandom IDs.
1: So your house, your favorite movie, and your favorite book. I'm Meg. My house is Ravenclaw. Uh, And I was just on a Mogocast episode in July, a chapter by chapter for Prisoner. Uh, And so I introduced myself then. But as a reminder, my favorite book and movie are both Goblet of Fire. So I was really excited that the Goblet of Fire commentary happened because that movie is just it's just a good time.
0: It was so good. And I just want to take a moment to shout out Meg uh, also received another plug on the show recently because she is spearheading the revival of MuggleCast transcripts. Woo! So wow! allow it's me true. to thank you, Meg, because it is such an undertaking. But our listeners are so excited about it. And it is an important oh, thank you for move that. in the right direction in terms of making
1: our show more accessible. We
0: love accessibility.
1: I love it too. I love accessibility. I love the orderliness of having transcripts for every episode. But I'm now going to be, like, hyper-aware of everything I say. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to have to transcribe that. If I don't finish a sentence, I'm going to have to put in that ellipsis there. Mm. Oh, my God. Now <laughs> I'm
0: terrified of what my speech is going to look like written out.
1: <gasps> Meg! It's fine. It's going to be really nice. It's, it's going to be really nice. I promise.
0: They'll be like, oh, this looks like the MuggleCast social copy. That must be Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, everyone knows exactly what I sound like and speak like, and it's, yeah, it's true. Hi, I'm Pam. I can't remember the last time I was on, but it was probably a couple of years. I also co-host Millennial with Laura and Andrew, so shout out to anybody that's listening to this that also listens to our other show. Um, My house is Gryffindor, and my favorite movie, I don't know if this is controversial, but it's Prisoner of Azkaban. No, it's not. not. in my
1: opinion. Oh, Really? I think it's gorgeous. That's not controversial.
0: Well, with Prisoner 2, it's like it, I don't think anybody that was a fan when it when it like first came out actually enjoyed it because there's so much that's missing. But that is like the movie in the franchise that's grown on me the most. So it's now my favorite. And my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, that movie is gorgeous to
1: watch. It's so pretty. Yeah.
0: It's also like, I don't know if you all ever talk about this, but something that really strikes me is that like, Prisoner of Azkaban is directly responsible for setting so much of the tone as far mm-hmm. as the imagery we're familiar yes. with in the wizarding world. So true. And it's so incredible that, like, mm-hmm. what Alfonso Cuarón was able to do with, like, the look and the style in Prisoner is what ended up sticking as opposed to, like, Thank what God. Chris Columbus started with. So, like, I could talk about Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie, for. Hours. The costuming too, so like the costuming mm-hmm. for me is such a big transition in POA and it's so much more lived in and realistic and no, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just have to say, this is such a great start to this show because oftentimes I feel like I'm on an island when it comes to defending the POA movie. <laughs> what? It's not. <laughs> now I, I will say it's not. The boys don't get it. I. <sighs> I mean, what are you, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my muggle boys. Um, but it is, it is great to hear that other people feel the same way I do as that movie, about that movie. Um, again, it's not a perfect movie, but none of the movies are. And I think tonally, it just really set the right uh, direction for the rest of the series. Um, but all of that said, Chloe, you want to go ahead and fandom ID? I know people already know our fandom ID's. We put Meg and Pam on the spot. We gotta. I want
1: a refresher.
0: My name is Chloe. Um, I am the social media manager. I have been on cast quite a bit. My house is Slytherin, and I'm damn proud. Uh, <laughs> my favorite book and my favorite movie are also Goblet of Fire. Um, and that's not just because Fleur, but definitely a big part of it. Um... Yeah, I'm so excited. This is like a dream come true, having everyone on here. Yeah. So uh, I do want to take a moment to actually talk about the inspiration for this episode, because Chloe, this was your idea. It's something that we've been chatting around in the background for several months at this point about timing and getting the right people together to do an all girls muggle cast. So could you share a little bit more about your idea? Yeah, we threw it around. God, a few months ago, Laura and I did an episode together and people were like, That was hot. Loved it. Want Laura and Chloe and more women on the pod. And I was like, yes, say less. Let's make it happen. Girls take over. And then it kind of like got mentioned a few times. And I feel like Goblet of Fire is also like the best time because I feel like we actually really start seeing the topics we're going to talk about today. So I'm excited and really grateful that all of you were so game. Yeah, super stoked about it and really excited for this discussion. Chloe, you did a great job fleshing out the discussion here. And as we get into it, Chloe, I know you said that you picked this panel of women because we're all girls' girls. For anyone who's not aware of what a girl's girl is, could you fill us in? A girl's girl to me is someone that supports women always and empowers women and lifts other women up um someone who doesn't feel like they need to compete against other women i feel like that's a trope we see a lot in especially 2000s media is like women pitted against each other the idea of the mean girl um but everyone on this panel is a girl's girl um and that is exactly what I wanted it's also like a feeling <laughs> you know when you meet someone in the wild and you're like wow I feel so like supported by you and your energy is so good a girl's girl is someone you meet in like the bathroom of a bar and she tells you that your hair looks pretty and then you feel really good about yourself that's like the feeling we're trying to invoke through this panel yeah yeah And I felt that too, immediately when we hopped on, even before the show started, um, it's just, it's a different feeling, um, to be in a discussion with all women. Again, I love, I love my boys. They're great. And I, I would never change my team, but there's, there's just something special and unique about being with your community. So I really appreciate the idea. But with that said, you alluded, Chloe, to the idea that a lot of this discussion is going to be centered around the portrayal of femininity in the Harry Potter series, I think with a special focus on Goblet of Fire. Could you intro this first topic for us? Sure. We're talking about the demonization of femininity in Harry Potter and the I'm not like other girls pandemic. Something super prevalent, yes Sigh. something super prevalent, <laughs> yeah, Sup- something super prevalent in two thousands media, TV, books, movies. I think we're definitely seeing a shift, um. But it's something that we grew up with, and I definitely wanted to talk about it just because obviously we're all Harry Potter experts and we love it so much, um. But also as someone who considers herself to be very feminine and very girly and not feeling like that was actually good or acceptable growing up because I wasn't going to be taken as seriously or it wasn't as good as the women that we idolize when we're growing up, like the Herminies of the world. And um even, for example, Mean Girls, um, like the idea that feminine is mean and feminine is vain. So I'm excited to deep dive into it for all my girly girls, you are valid. I'm taking you seriously. I'm excited to talk about wh- how it's empowering to be feminine, despite maybe what JKR says. Yeah. And how femininity is not just one thing. Absolutely. It's multifaceted and femininity can present in a host of different ways. I mean, just to put it out there, I... I feel like I do not fit the, quote, girly girl aesthetic as much as maybe you feel like you do, Chloe, mm-hmm. right? But it it doesn't make either one of us any more or less woman. And we're all, and we're equally feminine, right? Just in different ways. Yeah. Let's talk about growing up and who we resonated with as kids reading these books, or at least when we were younger, was there a particular character that growing up we really wanted to be like that person? For me, it was like, it usually wasn't the women on the page. But I, I really appreciate, Laura, that you brought up the fact that like, you're maybe not as like, you don't present as feminine, for example, as Chloe does, who self identifies as a girly girl. For me... Growing up, I was just really self-conscious. Um for a number of reasons. I'm a Mexican American for anyone who doesn't know, and I grew up in a predominantly white community. So already, I was predisposed to feel other, like the other mm. girl, right? Or like feeling like I'm not like the other girls cuz the other girls were white and they were more delicate and they were thinner. And so escaping into something like Harry Potter and I think a lot of women fall into this um this trap probably a lot of young girls that read the series when they were coming out alongside a few of us as well fall into this trap of feeling insecure and not pretty enough and so then they do identify with the the women in this series who are respected beyond just like what they bring as far as looks goes. And so while I don't think it's necessarily bad, what I do think is bad is like pitting them against each other because that's not fair, right? Somebody that's outwardly beautiful can still be bookishly smart like Hermione. Yes. For example. But somebody that is super feminine, like I I definitely present more feminine now than I did when I was growing up. But I'm also like a really big baseball fan. Somebody that wears dresses a lot, like I love wearing dresses, can still like, you know, know about baseball and enjoy it, not because they want to be a cool girl that's in with the boys, but because they genuinely enjoy professional sports. Yes. Let women be multifaceted and not just one thing. And I feel like that is one of the main issues with The way that women are written in Harry Potter, it's like you're either a mother or you're helping a man or you're a like pick me girl, if I'm honest. And women are so many things and are allowed to be so many things. But I feel like each woman in this story is actually like put in like a category and they're very rarely allowed to leave it, even though they are so like deep in their characterization. Like Hermione is really smart but she also Mm -hmm. is beautiful like there's no denying both Mm -hmm. so but even when they are allowed to leave like Hermione gets to leave in Goblet of Fire Mm -hmm. at the Yule Ball there's um consequences to that and the consequence to that is that she has a falling out with Ron who doesn't know how to deal with it yeah and so then she reverts back after one night I I mean like we'll never know why she does it. it probably just isn't her vibe but like she wanted to feel beautiful and like a princess for one night and then he had to go and ruin it because she wasn't the Hermione that he sees Monday through Friday (laughs) every day and he was jealous and he was jealous and
1: confused I think a lot of things in this doc that we're going to find about especially about women kind of being mean towards each other a lot of it comes back to their relationships with men Mm -hmm. a lot about like fighting over over men, men being involved. But uh, to answer your original question, Chloe, I definitely felt a a kinship with Hermione when I first read the books. Um, I first read them when I was eight. So it was like just when I was about to, you know, start the awkward years of being a preteen. And I never felt, you know, very pretty. I was never popular. I was very shy. I had like once puberty hit me, I had terrible acne. It was just like a lot to deal with. Um, and so reading about Hermione with, you know, crazy bushy hair and big teeth, that was that was comforting. It was like, oh, she's not a beauty queen. She but she has other traits that that make her a worthwhile character. Yeah. But then, it, you know, Emma Watson was cast. She's a Beautiful human specimen. But I think they did in it in the movies. They did a pretty good job of, you know, you, you can't hide her beauty, they, but the, they tried. tried maybe the first and the second. Then gave up, but (laughs) but yeah, I mean, when you're watching Goblet and she comes down the stairs and she's beautiful, everyone's like, Oh my god, yeah, Yeah. she looks just as beautiful as she always has. This isn't really anything super new, not to not
0: to bring in another franchise, but it's like you know, in Twilight when Bella turns into a vampire, it's like, Well, Kristen Stewart was already beautiful, so how are you gonna like make her more
1: beautiful? This is so funny. Mm -hmm. It's every makeover movie, it's Princess Mia in. Princess diaries it's she's all that it's you take off the glasses, fix the hair relevant to Hermione, and they're beautiful, and they just needed a man to take off the glasses, yeah,
0: Daniel Radcliffe actually even said in an interview, like you know Emma's always been beautiful, and like she looked really great, but you know it it wasn't like a huge shift, and also the idea like in the books and the movie that curly hair isn't as beautiful and needs to be tamed and like needs to be changed, changed. <laughs> you can talk about it more than i can i i can because i actually in the pandemic i went back to my natural hair texture but i i feel like that specifically and laura can probably speak to this to you is a testament to just like the late 90s and the early 2000s when we were all straightening our hair within an inch of our lives. I for, did. I had no like I just gaslit myself for 10 years into thinking that my hair was straight. And it's only now in the last three years that I've been taking better care of it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's why I like that one spot in the back of my head. Never wanted to straighten it out It's
2: because
0: <laughs> I don't have curly hair. <laughs> I mean, I don't have straight hair. I have curly hair. Your hair. Hair is gorgeous and we always want what we don't have, right? Because growing yeah. up, I was like, oh my God, I want curls so bad. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. But like, so like now it's trendy. Yeah. I'm sitting here like, I always wanted
0: that volume. Yeah. It's like curly hair is trendy now. Everybody wants to like have curly hair and there's like gatekeeping of what constitutes as curly, which is so dumb. But like, yeah, like when Hermione was like born as a character, like I guess curly hair was just not chic you know well that was a thing in the 2000s right I oh like you Chloe I was just thinking the same thing you always want what you don't have I will say when I was a kid reading Harry Potter I specifically wanted curly hair because of Hermione was (laughs) she your character you You wanted to be like yeah (laughs) yeah And, and I mean I felt I felt I think a kinship to her because again she she was someone who didn't necessarily fit in with all of her peers. And I think like a lot of us more growing up, we feel that way. As a kid, I was definitely a lot more tomboyish and I was very into school and academics at the same time. So when it came to fitting into traditionally girly female tropes, I didn't feel like I belonged there so, I really identified with Hermione. And because of that, I wanted curly hair. And I used to desperately try to curl it and damaged it by using crimpers and all kinds of oh, stuff. Not on the it. crimpers. Yeah. I, I still use a crimper every once in a while. I'm not going to lie. But the irony of me straightening my hair and then trying to use a crimper after, please. Oh, that is peak millennial behavior. Tiny, tiny Pam had no idea. But I, to get us oh go ahead. Oh go ahead. I was just going to say I actually felt the exact same way that you did with Hermione in terms of like not fitting in growing up, but with Luna, just cuz I've never considered myself technically like very book smart. Um but I in elementary school I had like no friends and I read alone like my books in the on the playground and um felt very alone and very lonely and I really like grasped onto Luna because the idea that like someone could have all these like different interests and people think that it's weird like that was something I experienced growing up and I I wanted so badly to be Luna I think that has you know I think that hasn't changed. I think I always aspire to be like Luna. But yeah, I mean, I think there's so many characters, especially the female ones, where, you know, you feel almost like there's a part of you that doesn't fit in. So you latch on to these characters that have that same experience.
1: Yeah, the arrival of Luna was important in a lot of ways, because before that, before Order, if you were reading the books and you wanted to identify with a female character, it was either Hermione or Ginny. It was basically like, do you like books or do you like sports? And sports. <laughs> and then Luna came along and it was like, oh, here's finally a, a new character. You can be weird. <laughs> you can be weird. You can be the weird girl. That was very important to me my little artistic exactly you know, fifth grade self i was like i can be weird the creatives we really latched
0: creatives, on to yeah. us. <laughs> well to kind of move us along into the meat of the discussion um we haven't noted here that a lot of jkr's most unlikable characters tend to be strongly associated with overtly feminine characteristics even if they're not Female characters I'll observe, like think about Lockhart, oh, for example, <gasps> that's such mm. a good point, so you've got characters like Chloe, you brought up Rita Skeeter as an example. What were some of the others? oh my lord, Rita Skeeter, um Umbridge, and I think Pam has like some really good points about her petunia as well, but yeah, it was so funny. I was joking in the Discord with Court, one of our patrons, a few months ago, and we were saying like, if I was in JKR's world, I would be evil. Like everything about me would be evil because of like my personality and the fact that I love pink and like just being super girly for her for some reason, like, equi- like is equal, is evil. It's very weird. And you're mm. a Slytherin. So and I'm a Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I'm basically Umbridge. Actually,
1: <laughs> likes pink is a Slytherin. Alternatively, I she would love me. I'm skinny and I'm white and I have brown hair and I'm a Ravenclaw and I don't wear makeup. I would be on that page as like probably a love interest to a character.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> not your entire purpose in life. No. <laughs> And Meg, you had brought up, um, I think it's later in the doc, but I also thought it was really relevant to this question around the way that these overtly feminine characters are portrayed in a negative light, but at the same time, some of the characteristics that are assigned to them are interesting. Would you care to tell us more?
1: Yeah, you notice throughout the series that Really feminine interests, the divination and the the high emotions are really, really criticized. But in a lot of characters, it's like if you don't look feminine, that's just as bad. Like we have Rita Skeeter being described as having mannish hands, and Millicent Bulstrode has a, a heavy jaw. And it's like you acting feminine is bad, but if you don't look feminine, that's that's also bad. That also means you're an evil character. But then like with Rita Skeeter, her fake nails are pointed out. So it's like, but you can't try to look feminine. You have to be feminine, but don't try to... It's basically America forever speech in the Barbie movie. Yeah, you can't win. You can't
0: win. And also if you try to be feminine, you have to be effortlessly feminine. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you're Frere, for example, who is, like, you know, described as the prettiest person we meet in the series, whatever. She's so vain to everyone. She, like, even though she's very talented, it's not talked about. All that's talked about is the fact that she cares about her looks. It's a lot. Like, there's no winning for the women in this series, and the women of the world, if we're completely honest. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that she meant to do it, but to Meg's point about um, a lot of these uh, women that, Clearly put an effort into their appearance, having you know mannish features, more masculine uh, characteristics like that. That's also such a, a reflection of the real world, um, and also like this happens a lot too, particularly with plus size women, who often are held to much higher standards and can't just go out in like effortless athleisure wear without being. Thought of or seen as sloppy, for example. So I, I don't, I, and I think the same can be said for um, for real life women who maybe um, pr- have more masculine energy, but like want to be treated like w- the women they are. My best friend is um, 6'2", and she talks about this quite a lot how she feels like because she's so tall, she's not seen. Um, as delicate, so men will not hold the door open for her as much. Whoa, as they would for like someone like me who's five five. So I, I don't know. I like I, I really don't think that JKR tr- like meant to, but in a weird sort of roundabout way, she she ended up holding up a, a mirror to like a lot of what is wrong with society and their expectations of women. Liza said in the Discord, my thought now as I listen, these characters reveal the author's self hatred. And it's so true, but it's also like, I don't know if JKR definitely wasn't thinking about it, but it's like such social commentary about just like how we view women in this world and what you were saying, Pam, like I kind of had this crazy experience at LeakyCon Obviously, I had the most amazing time meeting listeners, but because I'm super feminine and I come across a certain way, they thought I was going to be much shorter. I'm five nine, so I got the comment like five or six times, oh my god, you're so much taller than I thought you were, which is hilarious because it's like, oh, we make assumptions based on people's personalities or based on their looks about, you know, we're, we put them in boxes and that's like literally what we do reading this book and in real life and jkr just shows us the mirror of what we do yeah and and like i can't remember which one of you brought up like in the internalized hatred i think that that is something that can be said for all women and and what really what it really boils down to is what you decide to do with that if you decide to like learn and grow from Mm. that and become a better person because of it i think that um, it's very clear from the discussion we've already had that like all four of us are already putting in the work to kind of uh, disband those preconceived biases we're not immune though exactly yeah but we're not immune and and like a testament to that is just us talking about what it was like growing up like we all basically admitted to um, feeling like at one point we were not like the other girls but character growth is realizing that like it you don't have to be different or put somebody else out to stand out. I'm exactly like the other girls. Yeah, it's like, I like (laughs) pumpkin spice lattes. I am exactly like the other girls. I want to be like the other girls. Yes, I want to be like the other girls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think a really important thing to point out there is what our own perceptions were of these characters as children, because I'll be honest, from my vantage point, like I said, I was definitely like more tomboyish and also more bookish than I was into, you know, quote, traditional girly things. And definitely when I was younger, and I was reading this, these books, I absolutely identified with the negative characterizations of the really overly feminine characters, because it was Mm -hmm. reinforcing what society was telling me already. Mm -hmm. And that just goes to show like has already been mentioned here, none of us are immune to this kind of thing. And the way, if we're artists, the way that we produce art, it is a it is a mirror that reflects who we are and our interpretation of the world and the world's impact on us. But that's also true in the way that we interpret art, right? So I think that's just a really important reminder to carry through the rest of this conversation. And then anytime we're interpreting works of art, Um, Just to remember that your interpretation brings with it to the table your own sets of strengths and opportunities to better yourself as a person. Well, I'm thinking about this is something people say, but the idea that you get annoyed with other people because they're showing the worst parts of yourself or the parts of yourself that you don't like. and when we're, you know, doing literary analysis, same thing, you know, we see the things in our life or how we act that we don't like, and we don't like it in another character. And that's really important too. You know, there's something so attractive about being, or being that I'm not like other girls, right? Cause she's cool and she's different and boys like her. And I think that, and May you know, tell me if I'm being too bold. I think all of us have wanted to be that at one point in our life. Sure. Or even attempted to be with boys, like putting other women down around men to feel better and to feel like you got their approval. Like that is absolutely a thing I did. And it's a thing that Hermione and you know, Jenny and other characters do in these stories, and it's now looking back, it's easier. But when I was reading it as a young person, I'm like, "Ooh, like, I can't believe she did that when I was doing the same thing, yeah, <laughs> I would never, and then it's like, well, uh, probably <laughs> did we we're all products of the society that we grew up in mm-hmm. um, but let's talk about I know we've touched on this a little bit when we mentioned divination, but talking about the you know, demonization of feminine interests we see sometimes in the books, whether it comes to courses or just general interests. Also, you know, the theme of some women not wanting to spend time around other women and forging really strong friendships there. Um, what What are y'all's thoughts on those topics? Please spend time with other women. That's like <laughs> my first other reaction is please spend time with other women yeah it's a way to
1: better yourself to to see to see other women how how their different lived experiences uh you know compare and contrast to yours um and it really is such a shame that in the books we see lavender and Parvati who love divination, they just get made fun of it's awful, um, especially by Hermione, who really you know tries to show off that she's so much better than mm. that, so much so that she drops the class and storms out. Um, and then when uh Trelawney is sacked in Or the Phoenix and Ferenc takes over, we get that scene in the Great Hall where Lavender and Pavardi are talking, like, we're so excited for divination. Hermione, aren't you upset that you dropped it now? And she says something like, I never liked horses that much anyway. I know. Oh my god, that is the craziest scene. <gasps> She's like, Ugh. I'm still I'm still better than you in this regard.
0: Coming from a muggle-born who has faced discrimination, right, to knock someone, but also the fact that Ferenc is immediately considered a better teacher, Mm -hmm. even because he's, like, and I'd argue that part of that is because he's a man. Yeah, he's not
1: silly, fruity Professor Trelawney.
0: Yeah, well, the thought that, like, someone who is a half-breed, which is considered less than in the wizarding world, who's a man, is considered immediately better than trelawney who is gifted like yes she's cuckoo bananas and we've talked about that at length but she does have the site um and it's super interesting i will say something that's super ironic is recently i watched emma watson's like what's in my that Va- what's in my bag vogue video that girl carries around tarot cards and pulls tarot cards every single day like Emma Watson would be a divination girly. She would be with Lavender and Parvati, mm-hmm. enjoying that class. So I think that is so crazy, and I I do love that fun little
1: fact. <laughs> <laughs> in considering Hermione, it would just have been so nice to have seen Hermione have a better relationship with these two girls that she slept in a room with every single night. Like they must have, they must have been talking somewhat. It would have been. And you see the Gryffindor boys all have such a strong bond. It just would have been so nice to see Hermione have that with her own dorm mates.
0: I think it's probably both ways, though. Like, I do want to give Hermione grace. I wonder, like, if Lavender and Parvati left Hermione out, or maybe there was the case where, like, they tried to get Hermione involved it seemed like lavender and parvati actually knew more about what hermione was doing in the earlier books like they know that hermione goes to the bathroom to cry after ron insults her for example like i wonder if they drifted apart because hermione becomes close to ron and harry and then lavender and parvati stop inviting her to things like i think that's probably a two-way street and we see that a lot with women yeah so. well and i mm-hmm. i think too we have to throw out the possibility that maybe the two of them were just objectively really annoying to be around like (laughs) both things can be true right like there can be nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with them as characters as people and we don't have to demonize the their quote girlishness but that doesn't mean that they're not annoying sometimes and it's not because Mm -hmm. they're girly even though I think the text might provide that interpretation. You know, both things can be true. I'm a fan of multiple truths. Hmm. I know. Nuance, baby, nuance. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think that I love that Lavender, and I know that it comes across annoying and that kind of bugs me, but I love that Lavender is allowed to be girlish and giggly and childish. Feels like very few of the children in this story, you know, are allowed to be children, right? And it feels like Lavender is annoying in a childlike way, which is so valid when you're 11, 12, 13. Yeah. Like I was so annoying. I would not want to spend time with me now as a 13 year old. That's just the truth. Well, just to to wrap up this part of the discussion, I just want to pose this final question. Chloe, I think you included this in the doc because I know pink is your favorite color. Why does J.K. Rowling hate pink so much? I think this is an interesting question. Because all of the representations of pink in this series are pretty negative, <laughs> to be honest. There's but,
1: one that isn't.
0: Yeah, but it's funny because she went on Twitter and said that pink is her favorite color. So I'm confused.
1: <laughs> pink is just pink is so feminine and she needs to and i well i think especially in the case of umbridge it's the contrast of pink is such a soft feminine color and umbridge is this very brash evil character um you know it's like going into her room and seeing all the kittens on the plates kittens are they're nice they're fluffy um umbridge is not nice nor is she fluffy <laughs> um but 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 yeah pink really gets um demonized in the series and it's it's so funny because uh, the costume designer for the movies, Jannie P- uh said in an interview once that she kind of signed colors to the main to members of the trio, um, and she gave Emma Watson pink, and Hermione wears pink in a lot of the movies. They even changed the Yule yeah. Ball gown mm-hmm. to be pink instead of blue. Which looks
0: better on her because of her coloring, mm-hmm. which is the
1: reason, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: pink, pink suits but her. But it's true, we do associate Emma with pink, but... All the book instances of Pink. The only other character that wears Pink as much as Umbridge or is mentioned is Petunia, I'm pretty sure. And we're not meant to like her. Right. And this is something that I wanted to bring up too, because I think a lot of times like beauty and effort into appearance are like from early on in the series, they're used to hide something that's more sinister to Meg's point with Umbridge. You know, she has all these frills and Pink and she's deeply evil underneath. With Rita, you know, she has the really long crimson nails and her hair is done just right, but she's, you know, a little sneak. And Petunia outwardly presents as feminine, the perfect like 1950s housewife, if you will, but she's awful to her nephew. And so... I think that what this does, especially for young readers, is that it predisposes us to be weary of anybody that outwardly presents feminine or is going to be putting more effort into their appearance. Because now we have all of these examples of women that have done so and turned out to be not great. So we're looking at other people like, say, Floor, for example. It's like, what is she hiding? Like, she's so beautiful. What is she hiding? Yeah. Hates blondes. Hates pinks. It's okay. Yeah. I get yeah. it. <laughs> but I mean, actually, it's funny because there is that perception of Fleur, and we we see that throughout the books. But she's literally the best student at Boboton, and that's why right. mm-hmm. she's chosen as their champion. So it's it's another great yeah. example that you know you you can be multiple things. You can be multifaceted. Mm-hmm. People hate Fleur online. Hate her for some reason and they forget that she's a total badass i i I do think so but it's it's tough because the when we a lot of what we see of her is also um characters that are observing her being a little snooty like she like being loud about everything she hates about hogwarts like if i loved my school that much i might be a little pissed off about anybody not just her being like this is this place is a dump you know, <laughs> that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. That's true. Or no. like, she doesn't, she's not perfect. No, yeah. like, she, I don't has think moments, she's trying. Sure. I, like, I feel like it, it goes both ways to Laura's point. There can be multiple truths with the Weasleys. Like, definitely you can tell that she butt, she butts heads with a lot of them. I would never for like, excuse Molly, Ginny, anyone else for being like, we don't like Floor because she's just too pretty. Or, like, she must be dumb because but she's so beautiful. I like, of how it comes across. So. It does. But then she's also, like, either in retaliation or for whatever reason. Like, we also see her, like, you know, she's complaining about Celestina Warbeck playing during Christmas and stuff. And so it's, like, I feel like they, like, they mm-hmm. both go at each other's throats. But for different reasons. And neither one is right. And it kind of sucks that we, like, don't see them really come together and put aside their differences to forge a better relationship
1: it's it's like yeah yeah, yeah. another thing i was thinking of recently is um she in the beginning of half prince when tonks is depressed fleur has a moment we sh- where she says like that tonks has really let herself go mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. disappointing to see which is fleur judging another yeah. woman's femininity yeah like Tonks's femininity isn't along the long about the long beautiful blonde hair. It's you know sometimes it's it's bright pink, other times it's mousy brown because she's she's in her feelings. She's feeling sad, and I'm sure it's a byproduct of her circumstance too. Because you know we know
0: she's um, her grandmother was a Vila. Um, Villas are Mm -hmm. the most beautiful women unless they're angry, and then they turn into you know really scary creatures. But I'm sure that like especially like Mm -hmm. like. I'm sure we've all heard this too online that like women that are only prized for their beauty um, also have like a lot of internalized hatred or feel like that's all that they can offer to the world. So like we don't know how much of like the way she behaves is a byproduct of her circumstance or like what her home life was like or what her family decided like she was going to like give to the world. That hits so hard, Pam. I hit so hard. Like as someone who grew up with a plastic surgeon as a father and my mom who was a fashion designer and then a skincare person, like looks were everything growing up. And I was a child model and I've like been told my whole life, you know, oh Chloe, you're so pretty and i was never told like oh chloe you're so creative oh chloe you're so smart oh chloe you're going to go so far it was always like oh my gosh chloe you're so pretty and it really really screwed me up because i just saw so much value in looks and very little value in other things and i had to deprogram myself and there are still moments where i immediately go to someone's looks or um my own looks and i don't value other things about me and it is really really hard. And I, and I think that Fleur is probably absolutely coming from that place. And also there's a part of it that is inherent to being a Vila, and Fleur is not completely human. And I think that does factor into some of the interaction, actually all of the interactions that she has with other women in the series, because she is, men inherently like Fleur because biologically she's a vila, which threatens other women. And the other women see that she's vain and she is vain because she's a vila. It's really like there's a lot of layers when it comes to her. But it's true that like if you are thought of as just like a pretty girl your whole life, it's really hard to see yourself as more. And then when your looks go or when you gain weight or when you feel not as attractive, you're like, oh I'm worthless. So I think there's a part of that, too.
1: I want to put in the Discord. Uh, Legalized Gillyweed said poor Fleur was probably sexualized from a young age because of her heritage, too. Oh, for and sure. I think that's a very serious good point that she uh, had to grow up with that that discomfort of knowing you are a, a beautiful thing and men are going to mm-hmm. want to look at you. And then, you know, take her to Hogwarts and she walks in and all the boys are looking at her. Yeah, she's she's just used to that. And that's and she's probably used to other women seeing that and hating her for that reason. I wonder if she gives up even like trying to charm women to Pam's point. Yeah, like maybe she just has given up. She's like, it's not worth it. It's never going to work out. All right, well, we're going to take a quick
0: break to go back and reevaluate what all of our favorite colors are. I know at least one member of this panel prefers pink, but uh, the rest of us will confer and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: Thanks, Laura. Andrew jumping in to tell you about this week's sponsor, Uncommon Goods. The holiday season is quickly approaching and this week's sponsor, Uncommon Goods, is here to take the stress out of holiday shopping. If you want to hear where did you get that this holiday season? Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. It's like going into the world's greatest gift store. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. For example, a classic literature cat tote. Which they bill as a perfect way to celebrate your love of felines and fiction. Or how about the 12 Days of Hot Sauce Advent Calendar for those who just love some extra spice in their life? There are so many unique gifts on Uncommon Goods, and they look for products that are high quality and often handmade or made in the US. They have the most meaningful, out of the ordinary gifts anywhere. Personally, I do not like giving gift cards. I like putting thought into my gifts to let that person know, I care about you. I love you. And that's why I love using Uncommon Goods to shop for the holiday season. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com mugglecast. That's uncommongoods.com mugglecast for 15% off. Here's a little discount to get your holiday shopping started. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. All
0: right, y'all. Now we're going to get into part two of our discussion, which pertains to how women treat other women in the wizarding world. Chloe, you have some points about Luna and Jenny. You want to inform us? Yeah, this is a positive relationship for me and I really wish that we saw more of them. Like we obviously can read in between the lines, but Luna and Ginny are in the same year. They've probably had like classes together, maybe double potions, double DADA, but Lu- Luna comes and is introduced to the trio as weird. And I think actually Neville is the one that says like, "Oh, I don't" I didn't want to be alone in a carriage with Luna. And Ginny stands up for her. And I really love that. And Ginny continuously stands up for her throughout the series. And like when Harry takes Luna to the Slughorn's Christmas party, for example, Ginny's like, that is so great. I'm so glad you're doing that. She's so excited. There's clearly a relationship between the two women that is positive. And I love that Ginny is willing to stand up for Luna, who's not as popular, who people think is weird. And Ginny is the most popular girl in school. Like I really love that. And it is the perfect example. And I think Ginny actually might be like the most girl's girl, except when it comes to Fleur, of the series. Like she really is supporting Luna here and like putting her neck out for a character that other people don't necessarily understand. And I think that's awesome
1: and Ginny who has feelings for Harry. Yeah. She she has no jealousy there. She's like Harry is doing a good kind thing by inviting Luna to this party and Luna's going to have a great time and I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, and I think too some of this could relate to the fact that Ginny in her own right feels like and forgive the uh idiom usage here but she feels like the odd man out because she's one sister With a bunch of brothers. Mm. So she can identify with the feeling of maybe not belonging in her family. And she's the only one in her family who's had a very particular experience of being possessed by Voldemort. I was going to say that she did not have a good first year. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's probably why she's so kind to people that are different. I mean, she like didn't make any friends. And that's why she turned to a diary and then got possessed. So, well, we'll pivot a little bit here. Still thinking about Ginny. But Meg, I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about Ginny and Hermione.
1: Yeah, we see Ginny and Hermione getting along very well. Um, And something about both of them is they're both really not girly girls. And I would have liked to see more Hermione-Ginny interactions throughout the books find out what they have in common other than just being the main female characters alongside with Harry and Ron. But we like, they get along so well. And the only time they really, well, they disagree on some occasions, like one Ginny says, you know, be nice to Luna, but it's always a very like, um, Hey, knock it off. Luna's cool. Um, the one time that there's like a heated disagreement is in Half-Blood Prince when uh, they're talking about, Harry having just cast Sectumsempra Sempra on Malfoy. Um, and Hermione starts, you know, nagging Harry for for the prince's book for using that. And Ginny, like, snaps and is like, give it a rest. And Hermione tries to even placate Ginny by being like, well, I thought that, you know, he's, he's off the Quidditch team now. I thought maybe that would upset you. And she says, like, oh, don't pretend that you understand Quidditch. You're only going to embarrass yourself. And it's the most heated confrontation we get between Hermione and Ginny. And it's over like a a sport, which is a very typically masculine thing. But then at its heart, it's over Harry. They're disagreeing over treatment of Harry. Hermione's saying Harry brought this on himself.
0: It's so real between two best friends to have a disagreement like this and snap at each other. And I'd argue that we have enough evidence that Hermione and Ginny are best friends. Like Hermione knows about Ginny's crush on Harry way before anyone else. And it's clear they've had in-depth conversations about it. And also Hermione has given Ginny advice on how to move on. And like, we don't see any of those conversations because we're reading the book, obviously, from Harry's point of view. But it's very clear that Ginny and Hermione have a strong relationship and they talk often about things that the boys probably don't understand i'm assuming that every thing that hermione can't tell the boys she probably tells jenny and i kind of like that they have a snap at each other because i'm with my best friends we've certainly had moments where i'm like dude what cut it out
1: and like that's real that's like that's sisterhood it is. I just wish that the snap had been over, like, stop being such an asshole to Luna. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: wonder, though, like, they probably did have those conversations. It's just we're seeing it from Harry's point of view. So, of course, they're going to fight about Harry. Yeah, Harry's ears are going to burn if he knows they're talking about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the the limitation of the story being told from Harry's point of view is that as a reader, it could be very easy to walk away with the impression that Hermione and Ginny really aren't super close because we really only start to see a core four as opposed to a trio around the time when Ginny is brought
1: to the forefront because she's being set up to be Harry's love interest. Another great instance of Ginny and Hermione's friendship, I think, is in or the Phoenix when she tries mm-hmm. out for Quidditch. And Fred or George is like, I didn't know she played Quidditch. And Hermione's like, she's been stealing your broomsticks out of the cupboard since she was eight. Yeah. It's a like good Hermione point. knows that about her more than any of her brothers do. We have to read the subtext
0: and the context clues mm-hmm. when it comes to like forming the female relationships and female friendships in Harry Potter because we get like tiny little snippets it is interesting though because like out of everybody that should be like more gatekeepy because we talked a little bit about how like some women gatekeep their relationship with the men in their lives because it makes them feel better like if anybody should gatekeep it should be jenny because she's had her brother's attention her whole life but the fact that she you know we never see her be like weary of hermione or be not defensive but like she, she's never, like, threatened by Hermione, and I think that that speaks volumes to her security as a character. And I think that that's really cool. Y'all are actually making me appreciate Ginny's character a lot more through this conversation. I'm usually not a huge fan, not because there's anything wrong with really? her. Yeah, mainly because I, I've i always felt like her character in the books was honestly underdeveloped. Yeah. Mm, but... That's true. But (laughs) yeah, but I I think if you if you read the subtext, though, you learn a lot more about her. At the very least, we can fill in some headcanon, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's kind of what you have to do when you're talking about the women if it's not Hermione, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's true. And she has some good moments like her sticking up to like, or like standing up to Harry when he's just being a total jerk and being like, you should have just asked me what it was like to be possessed instead of going crazy. Cause like I have been, she's fierce. Yeah. She has like no fear. Yeah. And that that's one of the things that does come up time and time again in like tiny little pockets of Ginny (laughs) throughout the series. It's also the reason that It's so infuriating how she was portrayed in the movies, you know, because she is such a solid, like, match to Harry's sass. And it's so good. And I, like, always read Ginny and was like, oh, my God, I want to be that sassy. Like, I kind of aspired to be as, like, sassy and have as good comebacks as she did. Because probably Fred and George taught her a little bit of that. Oh, 100%. mm, The subtext is the best part. Yeah. Well, what about Molly and Tonks for another example of a positive relationship between
1: women in the series? It's interesting because the majority of their relationship we see is um, in Half-Blood Prince when Remus has told Tonks that he doesn't want to continue their relationship. And Molly kind of takes on a motherly role. Um, and And part of it, you can't help but wonder... Is it because Molly is hoping that Bill will choose Tonks instead of Fleur? Like she has a few lines where she's like, you could be with Tonks instead. And Bill's like, I don't want, I don't want that mom. And you wonder if it's Molly being like, well, Tonks femininity is something that I agree with more. Um, But it is, it is nice to see that Tonks in her, in her depressed state feels comfortable going to the burrow and sitting at the table and having tea and soup with Molly. Um, and it, it makes me upset that we didn't see more of Andromeda in this series.
0: That would have been really fun. Preach. Yeah. See
1: more of Togs talking to her own mother about this, especially when, when you, we learned so much of Andromeda's sisters, Narcissa and Bellatrix, and they are both, they're just not nice characters. And it would have been so nice to see andromeda how she would compare to her two sisters yeah and not that like we need more from harry's perspective but like and i know we're talking about
0: women so i'll just make this point really quick it just would have been really nice to see like andromeda and harry talk to each other because she was so close to sirius and he lost sirius so early
1: and i'm like shocked that that never happened that he never met her and harry becomes godfather to uh to her grandson right
0: Andromeda would have been like the best female representation if she was more included, if I'm honest. Like, it feels like she is actually like, and again, we get like tiny little snippets, but she's a Slytherin, first of all, and she's good. And she married a muggle born and she chose love and she like leads with her heart first. And she's a strong witch. Like it is, um, it is really sad. We don't get to see Andromeda. And I think that that's something that would have added so much to like just the world of femininity in Harry Potter. Agreed. She would have been too powerful. <laughs> everyone's favorite character we couldn't have that <laughs> yeah well what about um what about some of the negative portrayals of relationships we have touched a lot on fleur lately um i will never sound as sophisticated saying that as chloe does but why don't we start there because i do see a lot of like fleur v insert character here in this list um so we <laughs> oh, don't have to do all of them I just have to stand for my girl. No, no, no. But I I think in general, like, we can talk about Fleur and think about the themes that we see between her and Hermione, her and Molly, her and Ginny, right? And what what we're seeing there. I put in the doc, I said Fleur is like my piece de resistance because (laughs) she is arguably like the most she is the most feminine character in harry potter and i'd argue that she's treated the worst by other women that we see like everyone attacks her essentially and like yes she doesn't she's not perfect we know this she's not um but because she is so pretty she is immediately villainized because men are attracted to her. And it's men that these women believe that they own. Like Molly, for example, with Bill, her first son, her baby, her everything, the first man to marry off, picked Fleur. Who's French? Who's Avila? Who's pretty? Who's vain? Like And she would prefer someone else. Like, she doesn't want to give him up to Fleur. And until Fleur, like, proves herself after Will after Bill is bitten by a werewolf, she finally comes around. But she's ostracized by the entire family. She's ostracized by, by Hermione. From the minute Fleur walks in the door, Hermione doesn't like her because Ron and Harry's attention like, is immediately captivated by Fleur. And she makes so many, like, offhanded comments. But Hermione did the same thing with Lockhart. hmm mm-hmm. Like, what is that about? They call her phlegm, which I think is a reference to the fact that, like, French people, like, have something in the back of their throat, is it? I don't know. I, know. I was going to say, with with Fleur, it's it's not just about the internalized misogyny. It's also xenophobia. Right. <laughs> Don't the British, like, aren't the British kind of prejudiced against French people, too? Yeah, so, the British Yeah. The yeah. It's, it's they just don't like each true other. True color and showing. And it's also <laughs> maybe a little racist. Like, I'd argue maybe a little racist because of Fleur's blood status. Mm. Yeah. Like, she's not completely human. And there's a lot of instances where Hermione and even Molly and the Weasleys have shown that they do have some wizarding prejudice when it comes to people that aren't completely human. Yeah, not they don't so much have the issue when it comes to half-bloods or muggle-borns, right? But mm-hmm. we definitely we saw it at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban with the way Ron reacted to Lupin, for example. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And Hagrid too, finding out about Hagrid. And also the way they react to um conversations around house elf liberation. Yeah. Right? Like slavery is normal. We've all accepted it. <laughs> yeah, get over it. it. We that's like just that it. thing We do here. <laughs> they li- <laughs> they like it literally. Ugh, gross. <laughs> well, we just talked a little bit about the Weasleys, and we we centered on Molly. I was wondering if we could talk about Molly and Hermione quickly because that's a big theme in <sighs> *Goblet of Fire*. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the forty-year-old women that talk shit about teenagers and like about what they're doing like molly judges hermione because of a rita skeeter gossip article about the fact that she broke harry's heart and like purposely gives her like what like less it's like a. She doesn't give. She doesn't knit her a jumper. Yeah. A Weasley she gets jumper. A smaller that year. Easter egg. She gets the smaller Easter. Easter.
1: It's so petty. It's so petty. I know. And like it would almost be better if she didn't send her anything. Yeah. It's so petty.
0: <laughs> and I'm like, Hermione's 14. Molly, you are 40. Mm-hmm. Please act like it. I
1: think there can be some grace there because we know how strongly Molly feels as a motherly character towards Harry. And she's seeing what he's going through, especially in Goblet. Um, and for him to have to be doing these terrible, scary tasks. And then for someone to be breaking his heart at the same time, it's just too much for her to handle. But it's she really true. does not approach it maturely. She she doesn't even ask Harry about it. She just makes up her mind. She should She should have asked Harry or
0: Hermione. Also, you hope that she feels like, you know, maybe not as strongly towards Hermione, but at least a little bit. She's known Hermione the same amount of time. Yeah. Hermione has spent time with her at her I house. think it's, the, I get it. I get what you're saying. Like, yes, she should. But I, I do think that the relationship is different because she knows that Harry doesn't have a mother. And we get that yeah. beautiful moment in um, Order of the Phoenix where they say, like, she says, like, he's as good as mine. She, that's what she basically says. And so, like, we know that um, she feels a, a sense of... Uh, responsibility to be a mother figure for him because he doesn't have that and he doesn't go home to a great life but but I do feel like this is the most frivolous Molly is in the entire series like getting yeah. hung up on gossip. It's kind of like the um. like do you guys remember like She's going wonderful. I was just going to say like it's kind of like when you used to go like grocery shopping with your parents in the 90s and it was all tabloids by the register. I don't think it, like it's as much that anymore but like I know my mom used to read the headlines <laughs> and be like oh like that's interesting. Oh my mom loved people. My mom loved. She still does well people like, is reputable so your mom's got a taste <laughs> she no, she does she does but Molly is a really really wonderful mother and I do want to note that like she is a dream Absolutely. But I I do love, I think Debbie in the discord said Molly is an authentic portrayal of a mother. Mm -hmm. Yes, she is authentic. I think that she's better than a lot of mothers. I'm just going to put that out there. She obviously like, like the Weasleys are not like the Weasleys are obviously like a white family, but a lot of like the way that Molly and Arthur operate um, reminds me a lot of like, you know, like my grandparents never had Um, even if they didn't have much, like, they would figure out a way to feed everybody. They would always take in strays. Like, they were everyone else's grandparents and stuff. And I just feel like... That is so Arthur and Molly. It's like it doesn't matter that they don't have a lot. they'll figure out how to make sure everyone has a place to sleep, make sure everybody has a warm meal, make sure everybody has something to open up during Christmas. And I just think that that is so beautiful to think about, like she's still sad with a gift, I wonder, yeah, mm-hmm. like all that she does, like that we don't see, maybe it wasn't petty. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, a little, little petty, petty because but... <laughs> she, was, isn't she also noted? What if it's both, though? Isn't she also noted in the book as being cold towards Hermione she when is. she sees yeah. her? Yes. So, yeah, and it's, then Harry's like, it's a oh, thing. Mrs. Weasley, you didn't actually believe all that. As she gets like all flustered because she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this just goes to show they don't teach media literacy at Hogwarts, which is a problem yeah. <laughs> but i mean that's also a real world problem so that's we'll true. we'll let them have that they only have the daily profit in the quibbler like what do we expect <laughs> right and neither are like reputable <laughs> often do fake <laughs> news yeah yeah which weekly the most <laughs> oh trun- yeah, which yeah. yeah that's true well were there um any other points in the negative relationships column y'all wanted to touch on I think Hermione versus Lavender, like we didn't talk about the way that Hermione treats women and it's a little, r- it's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, She just like views her as less than because she has different interests and she's like giggly. And obviously I think Ron comes into play later, but it, Hermione has a mean streak and it's usually with other women, like the way that she treats, um oh God, what's Cho's friend's name? Uh, Marietta Edgecombe, Marietta, Marietta. Edgecombe, like that mm. is too far. She puts Rita Skeeter in a uh, a jar, like very much. She Rita Skeeter could have died and would have died if she tried to transform. Like Hermione, you know, doesn't treat Luna super well. Like there's a lot of moments <laughs> where you're like, "Whoa, chill, dude." <laughs> So here's here's the thing. Hermione really has no chill. Yeah, Um, she's got she's got a very strong sense of justice about her. And like 50% of the time, I love it. I I think the Rita Skeeter uh, plot and the way that that plays out, I think is really hilarious. Because honestly, Rita Skeeter is a grown woman who is literally harassing teenagers for a gossip <laughs> rag. She had it coming. She definitely had that coming. But she's and also, cuckoo bananas sometimes. Like, Hermione takes it far. Oh, I know. She's like, here, you want to join my club? Sign this piece of paper. And I'll permanently disfigure your <laughs> face. Yeah. Permanently <laughs> disfigure your <Right. her> face. <laughs> like, whoa. That's why she's a Gryffindor. Yeah, but the other yep. girl is That's 15. why she's a Gryffindor. Like, oh my god. No, I agree. I'm just saying that, like, 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 there are bad traits for every house, and like, this is Hermione personifying bad traits of Gryffindor, and I can say that as a Gryffindor, extreme no, Gryffindorism. But the way she treats Luna and Lavender, yeah, it's the rashness of it, right? Yeah, she's like literally not thinking logically in those moments because all she's seeing is red. And I relate like that's not a great quality to have, but you know, but it's a damn Gryffindor quality. I think it is. Those examples are like, obviously she's like pursuing justice. And that's what matters to her. And like, so we're able to like think about it and make excuses. I think Lavender, the way she treats Lavender and Luna is just really insensitive and mean. Um, And I think like there's very little excuse for the way that she treats them.
1: With Lavender, there's also the huge aspect that she loves Ron and Lavender got there first and she should be angry at Ron for that. Even before, though. But she makes all these comments Prisoner about Lavender. Yeah. Even before, she's, she's always been very, very against her. But like, but especially with the and like when I first read Half-Blood Prince. I didn't like Lavender because I loved Ron and Hermione together. I was like, Lavender is terrible because I was 12. (laughs) And then rereading it though, like Lavender is a true Gryffindor. Lavender went up to Ron and was like, I'm into you. Let's kiss. Lavender is ballsy and I love it. Yeah. She
0: she also didn't deserve the way that she was treated, the way that Ron ended things with her. Also like she was just mm -hmm. like in love
1: and 16. I acted the same way. She was just a teenager with a crush on a guy.
0: I thought you were going to say she also didn't deserve the way she maybe died. Oh, <laughs> well, <they> yeah. that's <laughs>
1: too, Pam. But... <laughs> that's a given. a Lavender is a live truther. Me too. I hope she Me is. Me too. You know, maybe she's like Bill and she likes her steaks a little more rare now. But... Yeah. Right. I like no, that fine. it's open ended. Mm-hmm.
0: Me too. And listen, I would have probably been besties with Lavender and Parvati. Like, let's be honest. I would be the giggly girl with them. And I'm all in. That would be your trio. That would be my trio. Yeah. And I'm all in. As we come to an end of this discussion here, there's a really great point that we have in the doc about internalized misogyny. We've talked about throughout this show how... The author's views socially come through in the work. I think our own views and every other reader, um, their views come through in our interpretations of the work. What does it say when we take this particular interpretation of the way women are um, portrayed in Harry Potter and sort of overlay that with, Some of the social commentary that has come from prominent people like the author, for example.
1: It's an example of pretending to be a feminist, but not acknowledging intersectional feminism Mm -hmm. at all, which is needed for feminism to be real feminism.
0: Agreed. It is very 90s feminism. And that's the truth like new wave feminism and what I subscribe to is that like you can be a woman in any which way you want. And that is awesome. And I support you. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's space for everyone. That's, yes. that's what really it feminism should be. There's space be a tomboy, for... be a girly girl. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> There's space for trans women. There's space for non-binary people. There's mm-hmm. space for, BIPOC women, there's space for cishet women, there's space for queer women. And I think that, um, you know, JK Rowling might not share those particular views. But the important thing is, is that we walk away from this discussion, keeping that in mind so that we're better people outside of this episode. Yes, you can be a women, a woman any way you want. And I will support you and love you for it.
1: As long as you do the same for me, right? Yeah, we mentioned earlier in the episode the description of women as having masculine features and how that makes them that makes them not real women, not not good women. Um, and it's just so in tune with the comments today of like looking at a, a trans woman saying like, "Oh, we can always tell." Like by saying things like that, you're not only being a horrible person to trans women. Also to cis women who just happen to have more masculine features and it's the opposite of being a girl's girl. Yeah, not a
0: girl's girl. Mm -hmm. To your point, Meg, um, a listener wrote into our Patreon about Rita Skeeter being trans coded. And it's something that's talked about online often, but because of the nails and the makeup and being super done up all the time and also having more masculine features while being done up. People have said that Rita Skeeter and like, obviously she's not the nicest character. We're not meant to like Rita Skeeter. Um, People have said that JKR, like even maybe unintentionally wrote her views regarding trans women into that character. And I think it's a valid point. I'm not trans. So I don't think I can like really flesh that out, but it's interesting reading back and knowing what we now know about JKR's views and seeing the internalized misogyny And the way that she writes women that she doesn't like tending to be either like overtly feminine with masculine qualities. Like it feels like she was telling us before she actually exposed herself. Yeah, I was we didn't talk about her, but I would say like um, Madame Maxine kind of falls into that line of thinking as well, because like obviously like we do learn that she's um, half giant too, right? Yeah, not not. Yeah, like Hagrid. But she is also because she's tall, like given kind of more masculine features, but then also is an example of a woman who is like dressed extremely elegantly and more done up than the the cool girls or like the girls that are not like the other girls and stuff. So again, like it's an example of writing where, like, the um, the beautification on the outside is hiding something on the inside. Madame Maxine is so fabulous. Yeah. By but the way. But she's still, she is, but she is, she is still described as a handsome woman. It's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because probably she's tall, like, again, mm-hmm. all of these things that people deem as more masculine qualities. It's really interesting the ways that society kind of informs the way that, We talk about these things because I'm sure if you went back over all of our years of podcasting history, you could probably find some coded language that we didn't even realize we were using, right? And that's just the reality of the evolution of of being a person. So none of this is to say that it would be possible or even that Harry Potter should have been written in a different way. I think that it is... I love that it's flawed. Yeah. And it should be because people are flawed, right? We are all flawed. And just like we hear a whole lot out of Order of the Phoenix, the world is not separated into good people and death eaters. There is light and dark in each and every one of us. And masculine and feminine traits Mm -hmm. in each and every one of us. And that is awesome and okay. (laughs) Well, I think that puts a nice bow on things. Um, We are going to step away for just a moment, but we're going to be back with a fun speed round of segments to wrap up the show today.
2: Thank you, Laura. This week's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you're hiring for your business on your own, you're as helpless as a Hogwarts student who forgot to study for their owls. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because they are an unbelievably powerful hiring platform delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed can help you do it all. This is partly thanks to Instant Match, which gets you quality candidates the moment you sponsor a job. Their hiring platform does the hard work for you, too. They show you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have job requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com MuggleCast. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com/mugglecast. Just go to indeed.com/mugglecast and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com/mugglecast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: All right, time to get into our speed round of fun questions and answers. Chloe, do you want to kick this off? Because I think these were all your questions. Yes, I just wanted us to have a little fun at the end. Um, Obviously, we've been so deep this whole time. What chapter of like in the entire series would you want to see from a woman's perspective? Obviously, we see it all through
1: Harry. What perspective do you want to see? Mine is one we definitely talked about during this episode. We talked about Ginny not being as fleshed out as she could have been in the series. Um, and we talked about the chapter where she says to Harry, I can't believe you forgot that I was possessed by Voldemort. Um, <laughs> love. So I, I would love to see Christmas on the closed ward from Ginny's perspective, because Ooh. I'd also want to see her, you know, dealing with her dad has been attacked by a snake. Yeah, yeah. Um, going through that we see Harry devastated by it but to see like one of his children devastated by it also and then to see her I'd love to see her talking with Ron and Hermione being like why is Harry acting like an ass Then being like I don't know maybe (laughs) you should talk to him and then that that moment happening of him saying you know I forgot so good that's what that's what I would say
0: yeah to to piggyback off of Meg's I, I would love to see like probably any chapter um in chamber of secrets from Ginny's point of view because there's so much of that story that gets glossed over um but also like hermione's perspective of from chamber of secrets of figuring everything out and like up until the point that she gets petrified would be fascinating i was gonna say you don't you don't want the perspective of her actually being petrified in the hospital wing for three months (laughs) that would be boring (laughs) No, but it could like fade to black as soon as you know she peers over the corner and sees for sure. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah, I'm just teasing. Imagine, imagine <laughs> if she like heard every single thing that was happening around her while she was petrified. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Ron- Harry and Ron standing by her hospital bed trying to figure it out? Yeah. She'd and she's like laying screaming. there being like, the answer is literally in my hand. She's like, <laughs> I have it right here. She's just like, I- I'll stay petrified because you have both killed me. <laughs> Hermione literally, like, saved those boys so many times in the hospital bed,
1: frozen, like, insane. She saves the day even when she can't even move or talk. Or
0: talk, Yes. I think you guys both had such beautiful, deep, meaningful answers. I want to see the Yule Ball <laughs> from a girl's Fine. perspective. Any, Exactly. Any girl's perspective, like maybe Ginny or Hermione, just because... I'm assuming they're getting they're getting ready together, and there is nothing better than getting ready with your girls before a night out. I think it's the best part of the night usually, and I want them to talk about Victor Crumb and Ginny going with Neville when and talking about that Harry asked Ginny and like all of those. I just want that girliness, and like I guess I can get it in another book, but I desperately want to see it from Ginny or Hermione's perspective, and also her blow up with ron and how she puts it together that ron is starting to like her and that there's like you know an undercurrent there now that she didn't notice before and also like the inner dialogue of her finally feeling really beautiful like that i would love to read I agree with that. There's also that great line where Hermione leaves to go get ready for the ball like three hours early. Yes. And Ron (laughs) shouts after her, you need three hours. I remember reading that and being like, Duh!
2: Yeah, yeah. The shower, (laughs) the hair.
0: You know, she has a Spotify playlist in the background that's like (laughs) bad bitch energy. She's like using her sleek easy potion, and she had like the an everything shower. Boys don't get it. Yeah, it's a ritual. It's just a ritual, (laughs) exactly. And it's fun. It's It's self care. Mm -hmm. It is self care. Yeah. I mean, we've all, I think, at some point, done something like this. I specifically remember at being at Harry Potter conventions back in the day, and the big event, the big event was the Yule Ball, and I absolutely (laughs) took three hours to get ready for that. But also, like, depending on who you were sharing a room with, because we, you know, we were all young and like bunking (laughs) up as much as we could to save money. It was like, you have to go back to the hotel halfway through the day because everyone needs to shower first. Yeah, everyone has to do their hair and everyone has to use the same mirror and the same blow dryer. It was an experience. Okay. Well, these were supposed to be a speed round. (laughs) Oh, shoot. (laughs) It's okay. Which, 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 which do you think you're most like in the series? I was going to say, in some ways, Hermione, but I like to think that I've got some tonks going on oh for sure not just because of the hair no you're badass like her
1: it's hard to choose um but i think i would like to say luna because there are a few there are a few strong Lunaisms that i have um like over the summer i like to dye my armpit hair blue i think that's something Luna love. would love <laughs> it's incredible I love, I love that i love the
0: it's, you match laura's fun. hair I do! <laughs> twinning oh love. twinning.
1: <laughs> Hair matching. That's a social post. <laughs> and then uh and then I also love the, the you know the more strange, unloved creatures. You guys were so harsh on the tailless whip scorpion in the Got of Fire movie commentary. Aww. Someone called it gross. I think Michael called it gross. I was like, I'm not here for that. <laughs> <laughs> they're not venomous, they're not gonna hurt you, they just wanna hide. Yeah. They didn't deserve to be
0: abused like that by Moody. My answer would be Hermione, but only a little bit. I don't really resonate a lot with the women of Harry Potter, but I also think part of that is because I'm not. um, I'm like a woman of color, so it's hard to see myself in these stories. I kind of just have to cherry pick qualities from different characters yeah, to, to find myself. I'm Fleur. We all know it. Good and bad parts of her. And I'm willing to admit that. Next one. Who's invited to the sleepover? You can only pick three witches. So who do you want to have a slumber party with? Do they have to be witches? They can be non-binary magical people. Okay. (laughs) I was thinking of like, I was thinking of like, just like the girls theme. But if you want to invite boys to the slumber party. it's not that. It's not that. I was thinking about. Laura's like, I want to invite Crookshanks. (laughs) I was thinking Head about wig. um I was thinking about Winky. I feel oh, like she never oh. gets included. Magical oh, she... female magical beings. Yeah. Yes. Aww. Winky. That's so cute, Laura. God, you're so good. Oh, thank you. I just I feel like she two? needs a hug. She does. <laughs> she so needs a hug. She needs a I girl's need a night. Yeah. Dobby's not cutting us. Yes. No, no. I feel like Hermione would invite Winky Loki to a girl's night, though. Yeah, like I think she or, would, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Dr. Lim said, dude, Winky would be a party animal. True, she does yeah. love herself a drink. Yeah, well, that's the <laughs> other reason, reason I beer. thought of her, too, is that I feel like we'd have a good time. But I also feel like she needs the emotional catharsis of being included, so... She gets to come. I'm inviting Tonks, Laura, um, because I have a big, fat crush on Tonks. And I also have a big, fat crush on Laura because I'm just like, I love <laughs> Tonks so much. And then also Luna and then also Fleur. Yeah. Because duh. <laughs> Luna's got to be there for sure. She's going to bring the Gertie root. She's also going to do the the tarot card readings. Yeah, 100%. She's going to read your aura and everything. She's on my list, too. I, I said Luna, Ginny, and Tonks. Same exact for me because yes. Tonks is always so a good Meg time. So and I are hosting a joint sleepover. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Laura and I are having our own with Wingy, Whatever. I feel like that group would play <laughs> Just Dance. Does that like does that resonate yes. with anyone else? Mm-hmm. I feel like Ginny Tonks would really slay Just Dance. They would. <laughs> grubbly plank and mcgonagall would have an amazing sleepover potter peep 1591 said yes honestly molly mcgonagall grubbly Plank, sprout like i want to yes, be a sleepover too madam yeah. mm-hmm. madam hooch we know madam hooch mm-hmm. likes the ladies there ain't no way mm-hmm. she doesn't <laughs> yeah i was definitely gonna say my third person would be mcgonagall So McGonagall, Winky, and Luna. I feel like McGonagall's bringing scotch and in her tartan. She's going to let her hair down. (laughs) And biscuits. Biscuits. That's important. Perfect. And then the last one is what Wizarding World cosmetic do you wish was real? And I checked, and all of these are canon in the doc, um, which is pretty cool. But I was wondering if which, like, Thing would you like put above the others? Because I want all of these cosmetics because it seems like easy and it's magic,
1: but. Booby pus. Absolutely. Me too. Because. <laughs> Me too. Like
0: uh pimples, evil. I would go with the uh, sleek easies. Sleek easies. Yeah. The hair potion. I feel like I would probably choose something like the hair thickening potion, but here's the tea, y'all. I do this a lot. I see something like a product that I will think. Oh my god, I need to have this, and then it sits unused for months. <laughs> so I yes. imagine that's what would happen here. Easily influenced, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, the two of you influence me to get products all the time. So just know, know that. Yeah. Um, I also feel. I also feel so good when people ask me, like, "Oh my god, do you have a product recommendation?" Because I love giving them. But I feel like Laura. What probably exists in the wizarding world is like hair color changer, like a spell to change the color of your hair, any color you want. Like, how cool would it be to wake up one day and be like, today I want red hair. And the next day be like, today I want black hair. Like I, if that existed,
1: obsessed. Basically like Tonks' ability in a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tonks'
0: ability in a bottle. That would be great. I'd be (laughs) so into that. All right. Well, I'm going to have to decide what my next hair color is going to be based on that discussion. And maybe I'll fill Tons y'all pink. in. pink. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I can pull off the bubblegum pink. We'll find out. You can pull anything off. Oh, thank you, love. Thank you, love. This has been wonderful. I've loved being on this panel with all of you. I feel like we've had some discussions that only a panel of women could have about interpretations of Harry Potter and the female characters in it. So thank you so much for being here again. We'll get into some closing reminders here. If you're an Apple podcast user for just $2.99 a month, you can receive ad-free and early access to MuggleCast right within the Apple podcast app. Patreon offers more benefits, Um, If you would prefer to support us right within the Apple Podcast app, that's totally fine. The offer is there. Just tap into the show and you'll see the subscribe button. Plus, a free trial for this is available. We would also love your support on our Patreon. We are a weekly podcast. Thanks to our supporters. And just a reminder for any of our Patreon subscribers who listen to us through Spotify, you can go to the MuggleCast show page on Spotify tap the banner that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Then you can connect your Patreon account to Spotify and access all of our bonus episodes and ad free content right there. Make sure that you hit follow on this show too, because it's the Patreon exclusive feed and it has some super cool artwork. If you use Spotify, but aren't a patron yet, This is also a great way to support us and enjoy our twice-monthly bonus MuggleCast segments as well as ad-free MuggleCast. Whether you listen on Patreon, the Patreon app, your favorite podcast app, or Spotify, you get access to bonus MuggleCast if you are a patron. And if you're enjoying MuggleCast and think other Muggles would too, you can tell a friend about the show. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And Chloe, do you want to do the honors with the social plug? I would really like to do the honors. Thank you so much, Laura. Go for it. Do not forget to follow us on our social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Andrew for some reason loves to emphasize it. So and Threads. So go check us out. We have a lot of fun on there. Um, I certainly have a lot of fun on there. (laughs) Um, so make sure to check us out. I also wanted if any of y'all want to plug yourselves at all, or I know Lauren Pam are on Millennial. So. If you enjoy this conversation, you should absolutely check Millennial out. We also have fun on there. Um, Follow me if you feel inclined. I'm at Chloe Laverson on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. I do a lot of stuff just like this, talking about Harry Potter and girly stuff. And it's a lot of fun.
1: I'll plug my art site. Go for it. Uh, I'm an artist and you can find my stuff at meg-scott-art.com. Because Megscottart.com was taken, so it's Meg Scott Art, but with two hyphens in there.
0: <laughs> and uh, Chloe already did a fabulous job of plugging Millennial for Laura and I. Uh, that's the show that we do with Andrew every week. So I'm a stan. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to join us over there and you're okay with, um, you know, a more explicit show, please feel free to check us out. And if you want to come hang out with me anywhere online, I am at Pamela Gokobachi everywhere. And it's a mouthful, but I'm sure Chloe will include links in the show notes. Yeah. And y'all know where to find me. I'm MT on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm uh, Laurita is my username. <laughs> I don't remember how many R's there are in it, but... it's eight. It's eight hours. Okay. See, Chloe is our social media (laughs) expert. So she knows my handles better than I do. If you can't find it, just go to any of the MuggleCast socials. They follow me so you can find me there. Flex. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this, this has been so fun. Again, thanks y'all for coming. And thanks everyone who tuned in with us tonight and joined us live in the discord. We had, so so much fun with y'all tonight we will see you next time we'd love to hear your feedback about this week's episode so please feel free to leave us some comments on the socials if you're a patron leave some comments on the patron we want to hear it in the discord and mugglecast at gmail.com please keep it coming we want to hear what you loved about this this week again thanks for tuning in y'all and thanks panel for being here I'm Laura I'm Chloe I'm Meg and I'm Pamela Bye y'all. Bye. Woo-hoo. Bye. <laughs>